Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, 90 Min Football Network. Hope you're all well, hope you're all good. Apologies for catching you off guard at this late hour. Uh, it is gone 10pm here in the UK and I'm coming to you just after the conclusion of this evening's UEFA Champions League matches. And the reason for that is because um, I know looking at my sort of work schedule tomorrow that I'm going to find it difficult to get an episode out before around about this type of time tomorrow. So I wanted to make sure that we got one in the bag. I wanted to make sure that I jumped on uh, so that essentially I'm not shortchanging you of content and uh, look there's plenty to discuss we're going to get into all of it uh we're going to talk about the news regarding thomas Partey. we're going to be talking about the postponements the fact that the brentford game at the weekend is going ahead we'll get into all of that and we're going to be reflecting on some of the champions league action this evening as well there are plenty of you in the live chat if you could do me a solid please do leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new. I said it, we want to get to 25,000 subscribers on YouTube by the end of the calendar year. We're within a 1,000 now of reaching that target. It is certainly achievable. Fingers crossed we can get there. I'd be so, so grateful if you guys could help me towards that milestone. And if you're an audio listener, well, thank you guys uh, just as much. And please do leave us a review on whichever platform it is that you're joining us from. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that the show would start with comments with regards to my lack of a beard. Yes, the beard is gone. It's gone. Um, <laughs> loving some of the comments. Uh, GB says, geez, fam, Harry has a chin and a jawline. Uh, there's, uh, I think I've got more than one chin. And not quite the Brad Pitt jawline that I hoped for uh, either. Uh, Zebik says, who are you and where is Harry? It's a good point. Uh, Kartik says, uh, Harry looking like Harry Potter today. I'll tell you what, if I put my glasses on, hold on a second. There we go. That's proper Harry Potter vibes, isn't it? Uh, Nav says, Harry clean shaven and trim looking like a new man. Yeah, you know what? It's one of those. Every time I... um. Every time I do it, every time I trim my beard down to like this level, I regret it within like moments. So I always get to the point where I start to get irritated by the beard. It itches a little bit. It becomes high maintenance. You know, you got to tidy it up around the edges and it gets to the point where I'm just like, screw it, get rid of it. And then I get rid of it and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? I look like an 11 year old. Uh, but thankfully, uh, when you got Greek Cypriot jeans, your beard doesn't really stay away for all that long. So uh, within a few days, it will be back. Don't worry. And I'll start to look my actual age again. Uh, <laughs> that is dominating the comments at the moment. Thank you, uh, guys, for noticing. Yeah, 
um, even if you are taking the mick out of me. Anyway, um, let's get into what we're actually here to talk about. As I said, we're going to talk all the latest Arsenal news, but we're also going to touch on this evening's Champions League action. Tottenham Hotspur become the first English club to lose in Europe in King Charles III's reign. <laughs> and you just kind of, you know, you could see this coming with Spurs because over the last sort of few weeks, I've watched quite a bit of them. I've, I've made an effort whenever I've been able to sit down and watch their games at length and and in their entirety because all I keep getting told and, and hearing about is how much better they are than us, how much more advanced uh, they are than us in their process, if you like, because Antonio Conte streets ahead of Mikel Arteta and because in a lot of people's opinions, their transfer window was much better than ours. But they haven't been performing. They really, really haven't. It's been lacklustre. It's been slow. I think the front three dynamic has been unbalanced in a way with Richarlison coming into the side. I think he comes into the team. You don't get what you'd get out of Kulisevsky because for some reason, well, not for some reason, you know, he's been good over the years, but there's a reluctance on Conte's part to drop Son. He kind of just wants him to play his way back into form and find his level again. And, and it's not really happening at the moment. And so then you're having to sacrifice Kulusevsky to play Richarlison, who is playing quite well overall. And that's just impacting the dynamic. And um, and in the end, they got caught napping from a corner. Um, and of course, uh, there was a brilliant goal from Artur uh, to sort of round it off. And um, yeah, put sport in Lisbon in, in dreamland because they are now, what, six points from six in that group? They're looking really good. Marseille, uh, I think, finished up with a defeat against Frankfurt. I'll just um, double-check that because that was the score the last time I checked. But then I had some connectivity issues and hence why I was late on the stream. I genuinely had a reason uh, to be late this time. Uh, yep, that one finished Marseille-Nil, Eintracht Frankfurt 1. So when you look at Group D currently, you know, it looks good for Sporting. Six points. Uh, out of six, Tottenham are in second at the moment. Eintracht Frankfurt are level on points with them, though. But Spurs have to go to Marseille, which is a tough game. They have to go to Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, never an easy place to go either. Of course, though, um, you know, they've got to play sporting at home upcoming. So, you know, what they could still get through. They still stand a really good chance of getting through. But it's always good to have a little bit of a laugh and a joker at Spurs' expense. And, um, and it's always good when they turn up and basically be Spurs and, and that's what they did. Uh, thanks as well um, to Harry Kane because I thought, you know, he paid a touching tribute uh, to Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. Was it the second? Yeah. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth II um, this evening by basically just 90 minutes of silence. Congratulations. Uh, well done, Harry. Smashed it. Leading by example, England captain and all that. Uh, let's take a couple of your super chats and then we'll get on to the more important stuff, I promise. Uh, Ash says, Tottenham were lucky versus West Ham, Chelsea and Marseille. It's been coming. I don't disagree with that. I think you make a, a really, really valid point. And a big shout out to Craig over in Fort Lauderdale, who says uh, Spurs losing isn't the best thing of the day. Harry shaved his beard. Uh, keep up the good work, my friend. We'll be watching and drinking at 7 a.m. on Sunday. Um, yeah, it's 
I'm just, sorry, I'm getting distracted by the comments. I, I, I don't like people <laughs> saying I'm being brutal. Like it's no slight on Queen Elizabeth, by the way. I've got an immense amount of respect for. Is actually um, a dig at Harry Kane, which yeah is always is always welcome in these circles. Um, yeah, look, Spurs losing it, it, it's not something that I'm going to be going on about for the coming days. But you know, enjoy it tonight while it lasts. Um, yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's get on to some Arsenal news then. And the positive news is, of course, that Thomas Partey looks as though he is in line to return at Brentford at the weekend. Now, that game uh, against Brentford was due to kick off at 2pm originally, but it's been brought forward to 12pm as part of the Premier League's plan to try and keep as many fixtures on as possible amidst all of the um, events and, and all of the constraints placed on the police force um, by obviously the funeral service of, of Queen Elizabeth, which is due to take place on Monday. And obviously there are people coming to London at the moment in their thousands to pay their respects to the Queen, which is um, which is making life difficult for the police. I, I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday uh, on another show on the Bet Rivers podcast, uh, Nigel Seeley, who was saying that he's, he's got a brother who's pretty high up in the police in London. And he was saying that, you know, there's literally only around about 96,000 police officers in the capital now. And that's in stark contrast to what there was maybe five years ago. And because of that cut down and because of how many leaders are coming to the country, because of how many, um, you know, high profile people are going to be in the crowds expected, the police resource is really uh, being strained at the moment. Where I've got a little bit of uh, an issue here, though, is that it, it, you know, the Brentford game, OK, they changed the kickoff time. It's It wouldn't have been ideal if we were playing in Europe, right? Because we'd have had that Thursday, Sunday thing that everybody always talks about. But we'd have had two hours less time uh, before the game, which, as I say, wouldn't have been ideal. But obviously, with the PSV game being postponed, that isn't so much of an issue. And actually, I don't want Arsenal to be not playing a game for sort of three weeks. You know, you want your team to bounce back after the defeat at Old Trafford. Momentum is is a big, big thing. We lost a little bit of that with that defeat at Old Trafford, but you want to get back on track and back on the rails as soon as possible. So I didn't want to have to wait three or so weeks for the next Arsenal game. So I'm glad the game on Sunday is going on and going ahead. What I don't get is why the PSV games had to be postponed. Now, if, it, if we were talking purely about policing issues, um, and we were talking about this week being a really challenging week, um, you know, for for the Metropolitan Police. And as a consequence, all London fixtures were postponed or whatever. I would get it. It's not ideal. It's not great, particularly in this season of all seasons where there is a fixture pileup that is inevitable because of the World Cup and the constraints that that causes. I'd have gone, OK, look, it's not ideal. It's not great, but you kind of have to swallow it. What I can't get my head around is why on earth Chelsea are allowed to play a Champions League game at home tomorrow and we can't? Is it because the Champions League takes precedent? Is is that something that that is a thing? You know, and I'm, you know, I, I remember in the past there was um there was some issue. I can't recall exactly what it was, but it was something to do with policing, and a game had to be rearranged as a consequence of it. And I remember not clearly, but I remember there being something along the lines of the Champions League game has to take precedence. So I'm wondering if that's why Chelsea's game has been given priority by UEFA, I guess, in terms of going ahead. 
But it just, yeah, it, it's it's irritating because you don't want to fall behind in games. You know, PSV at home would have been an interesting game, but it also would have been a game that I think, you know, we could have mixed the team up a little bit again, given some people some confidence and ultimately put that Old Trafford defeat to one side by going out there and beating PSV Eindhoven. And obviously we didn't play Everton at the weekend. And I've talked about this already. It changes the landscape for us as Arsenal Football Club because, yeah, we're in a great position. We're happy with what we've seen so far. But had we beaten Everton and then potentially gone and beaten Brentford at the weekend, we'd have had another six points in the bag with Spurs playing Man City, Chelsea playing Liverpool, going into our difficult run of games, which starts obviously with the North London derby and then uh, the visit of Liverpool. So, yeah, it's um, it's not ideal and we could have been in a much better position, but this is out of our hands and Unfortunately, I feel like during Mikel Arteta's time, there have been a lot of things that have been out of our hands that have had a negative effect, have disrupted our momentum, have caused us problems. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. We, we've got to just get on with it, swallow it up. But if we go and get three points against Brentford on Sunday, it's kind of neither here nor there. So it's just important that we do our job. But I hate when the momentum is um, is disrupted. I know that the circumstances around this were not something that anybody could do anything about. Uh, but I do think maybe now, especially looking back at the decision to postpone last weekend's games, it's it, it looks a bit hasty now, that decision, doesn't it? I, I've said it already. It, they probably would have been better off saying, no, those games will go ahead. We'll pay tribute to the Queen and maybe cancel next weekend's games. This weekend coming, I'm talking about ahead of the funeral and at least giving people time to process that change and time to try where possible, um, you know, to, to kind of either make alternative arrangements for another time, try and get some of their money back. I, I don't know, because as I've said to you guys already, I know a lot of people that were coming from far uh, to watch these games and, and it just didn't happen. Um, but yeah, anyway, is what it is. We move on from that. But going back to what I was saying, because I digress, Thomas Partey is uh, seemingly back. And we understand, according to uh, a couple of reports today, that Thomas Partey was back in training ahead of the Everton game. So he might have even featured uh, in that one. Is it too soon to throw him straight back into the starting eleven? I think we've really missed him. I, I really do. I think he's such an important player. But given his injury history, given the problems that he's had over and over and over again, I kind of feel like you've got to be especially cautious with Thomas Partey now because, as I say, we come back from the international break. It's Spurs, it's Liverpool in quick succession and we need Thomas Partey at his best for those games. Do you ease him back in against Brentford or do you say, look, we're not 100% that you've, you know, you've recovered fully. We're not 100% sure that we're going to throw you into the lines then listen Brentford will be a physical difficult game um and uh so yeah we got to see and a few of you in the chat saying look the conga's been okay I think he has been for the most part I think he's been good for the most part I think it's just been a couple of lapses at key moments that uh, particularly at Old Trafford that really let us down uh, Don Juan says let the medical team decide well ultimately they'll be the ones that make the call and they'll be the ones that advise Mikel Arteta on what his condition is like but it's impossible as a fan not to feel concerned 
by the prospect of rushing someone back who constantly breaks down. And Thomas Partey, you know, does do that. That is Thomas Partey. Um, Gunnar Work says, I don't want him playing the full 90, but I would like to see him play. I don't want him coming in cold for the North London derby. Yeah, that's that's a good point as well. Uh, Mark says, Harry, what happened to the facial hair makes you look 10 years younger? It does, doesn't it? It does. Uh, I'm trying to stay youthful. Maybe I'll leave it off permanently. I don't know. A lot of it is just because people ain't used to it as well. Um, let's be honest. But yeah, okay, let's uh, quickly have a glance over on the video right now because uh, we've only got 53 likes on the board. Guys, there's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 100 on here. Uh, so just to recap the big news, Thomas Partey is uh, supposedly expected to be in contention for the game against Brentford at the weekend. But there is also reports that Emil Smith-Rowe may not be. Now, this is another big problem, isn't it? Emil Smith-Rowe and his fitness issues, because you feel like it's holding him back from going on and going up to that next level. I thought in the first half of last season, before he started to suffer recurring injuries, he really took his game to the next level. He was scoring goals. He was getting into really good positions. And I'd said it at the time and, you know, I, I I meant it at the time. I feel like, and I've said this to you guys before, in terms of natural ability, in terms of technical attributes, I think he's got a higher ceiling than Bukayo Saka, who physically, though, is 10, 15 times better because he stays fit. Touch wood, that remains the case. But he's also strong, um, you know, and he's got that pace as well and, and sort of that acceleration that Emil Smith-Rowe doesn't quite have. But... In terms of technical ability, in terms of footballing brain, I think Emil Smith-Rowe's got lots of it. Problem is he can't stay fit. And so if he is a major doubt for this game again as well, it's a real concern because is he going to start? No, uh, I'm not particularly, you know, pushing for Emil Smith-Rowe to start. I wouldn't be campaigning for Emil Smith-Rowe to start, should we put it that way. But he's a great option off the bench. He's a great option to have in your squad. And um, yeah, you know, disappointing that he may miss out again. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to do our full Brentford preview a little bit later on in the week. We'll be bringing you uh, the team news. I'll also be talking to you guys about how I'd line up some of the challenges that we're going to face from Brentford, who I've actually covered twice this season already. Um, and most recently, I covered their 5-2 victory over, um, over Leeds United. Uh, that was at not the weekend just gone, the weekend before at the Brentford Community Stadium. I was there uh, on uh, on the radio reporting, spoke to the managers after the game as well. So I've got a bit of an insight into what Brentford want to do, what they'll try to do, how they'll look to approach the game against us. And, and I think, you know, we have to be much better prepared for it than we have been in previous games. I think we have to accept that there will be elements of our game that we maybe need to just... I don't know what the word is, scale back on slightly in order to cater for their strengths. We are going away from home. We're not at Manchester City level where we can just go F it. We can go wherever we want and play however we want and we should get the result. Arsene Wenger's great teams used to do that. But one of the big criticisms people had of Monsieur Wenger later on was that he didn't then do that, that when his team were not quite at the level to go and impose themselves everywhere, he was too stubborn to say, OK, right, my team is not at that point, is not that strong. And so I'm going to have to scale back on some elements of the game that I want my team to play in order to cater for 
coping with the strength of the opponent. So, yeah, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But there's certainly a clear picture in my mind of what Brentford are going to bring to the table. And so I expect Arsenal to have a plan and I expect Arsenal to make some minor tweaks and minor adjustments in order to be able to cope with certain threats, in particular the threat of, of Ivan Tony, who was in mouthwatering form last weekend, and the form of, uh, and the threat, I beg your pardon, of Brian Mbwemo, who's also a real, real handful and really compliments Ivan Tony up top as well. There are others too, and we'll get into that, as I say, on the preview show in a hell of a lot more detail. But let's turn our attention just back to this evening's Champions League action. I was watching Bayern Munich against Barcelona for the most part, and watching Barcelona was so incredibly frustrating in that it was like watching Arsenal at Old Trafford. For those of you who hadn't seen the game or haven't seen the game, Barcelona could have scored three in the first half and that would have been kind to Bayern Munich. The chances that they were creating, the overloads they were making, the the positions they were getting Robert Lewandowski, of all people, against his former club um, into in that first half and they just couldn't convert. And what, seven, eight minutes into the second half, Bayern break the deadlock set-piece delivery. Uh, Lucas Hernandez pops up at the near post and heads home. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. And then a great goal from Leroy Sane doubled Bayern Munich's lead. And that was that. Bayern were really lacklustre in that first half, like really lacklustre. Um, they struggled to create chances. They struggled to move the ball with the same zip and tempo and the same accuracy as Barcelona. They probed at times, but couldn't really break them down. But Bayern just sort of re-enforcing uh, that old notion of German efficiency, right? Because that's exactly what they did. They come out in the second half. They did stuff um, a little bit differently. They were a little bit more aggressive. They were a little bit more on the front foot. And once they got the goal, um, you know, there was only really going to be one winner in that game. And watching Barcelona tonight reminded me of our performance at Old Trafford. Lots and lots of huff, but not anywhere near enough puff at the end of the day. And um, it, yeah, it's 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 weird because you watch them and you and you see Arsenal, but the difference is they don't have inexperience in that final third. You know they got players like Rafinha in there. They've got players like uh, Robert Lewandowski, Usman Dembele. They're not inexperienced players, are they? And so it becomes less forgivable when that is the case. You know you look at Arsenal and you'd say oh, you know Gabby Martinelli still developing, still young, but Kai Saka still not anywhere near his peak. Got plenty to learn plenty to work on. But when it's top, top players like that, you do look at it and you go, well, if you can't finish that, you're going to get bitten in the arse. And unfortunately for them, uh, they did. Also, Liverpool, um, I've got to be honest, I was quite looking forward to jumping on and talking about Liverpool failing. Uh, But actually, they managed to win the game, I think, on the 88th, 89th minute through Joel Matip. Um, You know, they'll tell you that the mentality monsters are back it was only a week ago that they were mentality pussycats, if we're being honest. And um, not all is well at Liverpool. You know, people have been talking about the cycle. Are they finished? Can Jurgen Klopp rebuild? 
reestablish the kind of uh, I don't know the dominance that them and Manchester City had between them. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think what they've done in the transfer window is enough to kind of really uh, keep them competing right at the highest level. I think that they've let some really key players go. I think the players that they've replaced them with maybe will come good and maybe will get to the level um, that they need to. But for example, you know, Diaz can be great one week. I'm not saying he was bad tonight, but he isn't Sadio Mane, who isn't doing all that well at Bayern, if we're being honest as well. Um, but it's just, you know, players getting used to new systems, understanding what's going on. I think Liverpool fans maybe wrongly assume that because Luis Diaz had been at the club already, that when Sadio Mane left, there was going to be no issue. He'd just be able to slot right in there and everything would work like clockwork. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that's the problem in their team. I think the midfield is primarily their biggest issue. Um, but have they done enough to address that? I'm not entirely sure. Don't know. Um but yeah, Liverpool got over the line. Ajax, uh, great finish, wasn't it, from Kudus to level uh, the game after Liverpool went ahead through Mo Salah. But, you know, Ajax, I didn't think were... I think Ajax are one of those sides, a bit like us at Old Trafford, where they have lots and lots of the ball. Um, you know, they, they look really good in the build-up at times, but don't always turn it into end product. And, um, and, you know, them, Barcelona, us can all be in that, put in that same category at the moment. Uh, but, yeah, that was kind of um, my little Champions League chat slash roundup thing. Uh, obviously, more games to come tomorrow, which I'm really, really looking forward to. But Spurs uh, beaten, humbled, uh, beaten by Sporting Lisbon, as I mentioned earlier, the first English team to lose a European game under King Charles III's reign. So there's a record for them to have. It would be them, wouldn't it? Uh, obviously, Liverpool getting over the line late on against Ajax. But the big game for me, the standout game, the one that I watched uh, very, very closely this evening was, of course, that game between Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And, um, you know, there, there were suggestions that Barcelona were getting closer to Real Madrid again and that, you know, maybe the La Liga title is not such a foregone conclusion I don't know I, I still look at that Barcelona side and I think even though they've got loads of experience they're still naive somehow does that even make sense but it, it is there to see so yeah um you know disappointing result for them but I don't think many people gave them a hope of going and winning at the Allianz Arena um you know and uh they've lost but they'll be disappointed with the fact that they their performance probably deserved a little bit more. Uh, let's take some of your questions. Um, Don Juan says, are you taking questions today, Harry? Yeah, you know what? Chuck a few in. Uh, we'll do sort of a few minutes on questions as well before we wrap up. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. We're 25 short of the target that I set earlier on in the show. Uh, and if you're not subscribed to the channel, what on earth are you waiting for? But the big news uh, from an Arsenal perspective is certainly that Thomas Partey is back in contention and um yeah i'm obviously pleased uh, but there's always going to be that part of me there's always going to be that nagging voice in the back of my mind that says don't rush him back i know it's it, it's tempting because we've just lost we lost our first game of the season the last time we went out on a football pitch and so there will be a real temptation to say get him back in the side, instantly raise the level of the side and get us back on track, get us back to winning ways. And I totally get that. But I am worried. 
about how frequently he's breaking down. I am worried by the fact that this is a similar problem to one he faced last season. And um, and as a consequence, um, you know, it, it's hard for me to be excited about his return. There's a bit of apprehension. There's a bit of nervousness, maybe even a bit of anxiety around it, in my opinion, or, or in my mind anyway, going into the game. Uh, Don Juan says, question for Harry. Did we play into United's hands? The only way they could beat us was to play on the counter-attack. And I feel we played to their strengths. Absolutely. If you go back to the 90 min show that we did previewing the game, one of the things I said was that I expected Arsenal to go there, play a high line, squeeze up, try and pin Manchester United back. But in a weird way, that would also be good for Manchester United because they haven't quite found their way yet under Eric Ten Hag. It is still all a little bit... Um, a little bit disjointed. There's still a lot of work to be done. He hasn't been there an awful long time and he didn't get some of his players until quite deep into the transfer window. He had injuries as well, uh, which hasn't helped him. And so, you know, for him now at this stage, it's about results while trying to uh, embed your style and your philosophy. But ultimately, at a club like Manchester United, you you need to get those results to keep the Wolves away. And um, and so I do think in that sense, yeah, we, we did play into Ten Hag's hands and into Manchester United's hands. And I said it on the sort of post-match shows, a bit of naivety, both from the manager and from some of the players. And, and we need to cut that out because with that sort of looming over you at this level, you're always going to get pegged back. You're always going to fall short and, and simply don't want to be in that position forever. Uh, Richie says, Harry, does your child cry um, looking at you without your beard? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say cries. Um, my little girl doesn't. I don't know if she really gets it. Like, yeah, she she cries most of the time when I hold her. Anyway, proper mummy's girl that one. But my son uh, did mock me for a bit. He said, "Oh my god, where's your beard gone?" And every time I'm sitting next to him, he starts going like this, going, "Where's your beard? Where's your beard?" So, yeah, it, it's it is having a detrimental effect on the kids as well. Uh, CHS fan says, can Arsenal ask Ghana not to play Partey? I think they can give like a, a sort of brief to the Ghana NFA. Doesn't mean that they're going to stick to it. Doesn't mean that they're going to honour it or, you know, see things the same way. Ultimately, the manager of Ghana has to do what's best for him and for his team. But he has to think as well that the World Cup is not a million miles away. And, um, you know, he needs Thomas Partey. You know, they're in a pretty difficult group. They're in Group H with South Korea, Portugal and Uruguay. They're going to need to be at their best to get through that group. And I think hopefully the fact that this is, what, a couple of months out, three months out from the World Cup, a couple of months pretty much, hopefully that will kind of give managers a bit of a kick up the backside in the sense of hopefully them now applying a little bit more common sense around the fact that if I do risk doing damage to this player, there'll be longer term consequences, consequences that will impact me and my team going to the World Cup. He'll want Thomas Partey at the World Cup. And so if he's advised, hopefully he is to kind of either rest him completely, don't pick him at all, or at the very, very least, um, sort of limit his minutes, then then obviously that would be helpful, I think, to everybody. 
Uh, what else have we got? Um, Angel Hernandez. We had this debate the other day. He says, if Smith Rowe can't stay fit, surely we should cash in. We need someone who is fit and ready. Yeah, man. I'm just... For me... I mean, for me, it's it's one of those where everybody has up. I always say this: everybody has a price, and we have to stop looking at players because of what they can be, and actually think about what they are. And you know, the recruitment process means, and the recruitment strategy means that we're looking a lot on potential. Um, and obviously, when you're signing a player from elsewhere, you're doing it. I wouldn't say blindly because you've you've done your due diligence, you've done your scouting, you you have an idea of what you're going after. But there will be things that will always remain hidden until you get them in the door. And somebody like Emil Smith-Rowe, who is constantly injured, who constantly has problems, for me, there will come a point where I'll go, well, I like the player. In an ideal world, I'd like to keep him around, but he can't be the priority anymore because we can't rely on him to stay fit. Now, that's not through any fault of his own. Some people are more susceptible to injuries than others. Our bodies are all different. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I will only allow, in my own mind, a manager to get away with trusting in people who can't stay fit for a certain period of time. Because once you get past that period of time of you feeling sorry for them and, and maybe thinking that they've had rotten luck, etc., etc., um, there comes a point where it's just being stupid and it's being naive and it's not being practical and it's ignoring a big issue that, you know, constantly seems to bite you in the ass and, you know, not wanting to do anything about it to rectify it. That drives me crazy. So Emil Smith-Rowe is approaching that category of player right now, isn't he, where he's never fit. When he does come back to fitness, he doesn't last very long, two, three weeks at most. Um, you know, and he's in a bit of a limbo at the moment because he's out of the starting eleven. But he's not fit enough to prove himself and fight his way back into the starting eleven. And before you know it, we're at Christmas and you haven't started a single Premier League game. All of a sudden, your stock uh, goes down. All of a sudden, your confidence takes a, a bit of a battering as well. So, yeah, it's a really shit situation. But if the right price comes along, Arsenal have to think about Arsenal. And, and in the past, we haven't been ruthless enough in these types of uh, matters. And, and we certainly need to be. Uh, big shout out to Stephen Foote. Hope you're well, mate. Um, I haven't seen you in the chat for a little bit, so I uh, hope you're well. Hope you're good. He says, why didn't we play PSV away first, Harry? Uh, Arsenal tried. Um, Arsenal tried to uh, to have the fixture reversed. Arsenal also offered um, and, and inquired about the possibility of playing the game behind closed doors at Emirates Stadium. It would have been a bummer for the fans, but in order to try and get the game, uh, you know, on and and that request was rejected um ollie says harry why doesn't your house have any windows what are you talking about i've got two windows to my left i've got a massive uh patio door to my right and there are two huge windows next to that um it's just nighttime so it's dark outside and uh i don't film from in my house either um i'm in my man cave uh the house is um well, the house has got kids in it and I can't trust them to be quiet when I'm on a, when I'm on a live stream. Uh, what else have we got? Let's take uh, just a couple more uh, before I uh, get myself off to bed. Uh, Mark says, uh, why does the team suffer with so many muscular injuries? Are Arteta's training methods or is Arteta's training regime um, too intense? <sighs> um 
it's really difficult to answer that, right? Because there are players that that don't pick up muscle injuries and go through the same rigorous training uh, regime that the others do. So I think a lot of it is down to personal durability. Are you durable enough to play that way? Are you strong enough, um, you know, to maintain that level week in, week out and keep your body at a good level? It, it, it's really difficult to say. I, I think that some players, you know, every player is unique. Everybody has their own individual case. For example, we know that certain players have certain uh, tendencies to get injured with regards to certain muscles and in certain areas. And you have to watch that and you have to manage their load uh, accordingly. And I don't know that we don't do that. But when you look at how many of these injuries we seem to get, you, you probably would assume that maybe we're not the best in the business at that. Um, and that's got to improve because, you know, we need... Listen, we're never going to have our best 11 fit every single game in the season, but we need to limit the periods of time in which we're missing really key players and really key components to our team. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, we'll see if we can rectify that. But I can't say, Mark, in answer to your question, with any degree of confidence that it's Arteta's training methods. I mean, if you think back to Leeds, just, just take Leeds as an example. How many times did we hear, you know, Bielsa's training is too intense, the players can't handle it, the players get injured as a consequence and as a result of it, and so Leeds having loads of injury problems and ultimately then having a weaker side to go out and compete with was Marcelo Bielsa's fault. That's what people used to say. And maybe there was an element of truth to that. Maybe there was a degree of truth to that because of how many people had come out and said similar things and things along that line. When it comes to Mikel Arteta, I can't think of a single occasion where a player has sort of commented about the intensity with regards to his training or anything like that. I'm not saying that it isn't there, but I'm saying it's not an issue or a, a sort of a thing, I guess, that I'm aware of or have any inkling around. So I can't say that with any certainty, as I say. I would probably lean more towards the side of it's probably because we're talking about injury-prone players that we're talking about these injuries so frequently, more so than it is that Mikel Arteta and his staff aren't doing it right. Because I don't know that. You know, I, I don't know that. So, um, yeah. Uh, Rob McPeak says, how do we stop Tony? We're going to address that on our preview show. So make sure you join us for that one. So I won't give any spoilers now. Uh, Rahan says, do you think there's any truth to what Rio said a few years back in that the ground at Colney felt tougher than normal? He said that when he trained with England. Again, it's not something I know, so it's something I'm reluctant to commit on. But we know that tough pitches, tough grounds can have their impact on your joints and sometimes on your muscles as well. Uh, so, yeah, um, maybe there is an element of truth to that. But again, similar to what Mark said, Anything I say, I'm speculating because I don't 100% categorically know. But as I say, I would still, in the overall sort of discussion around this, when I factor in everything I hear, that I know, that I read, that people say to me, I still lean towards the, well, it's probably more so on the players, the specific individuals who are injury prone, than it is what we're doing as a football club, as a team. Uh, Afsar says, um, 
Where will the PSV game fit in? No idea. There's talk that a game against Manchester City might be moved um, to, to try and accommodate. Apparently, the Premier League are open to trying to help in whatever way they can with that. But obviously, you've got to get uh, you know Manchester City's approval on that as well. There are suggestions that if that Man City game can't be moved, Arsenal may have to forfeit the game against PSV. Now, in a normal Europa League year, I don't think I'd be as afraid of that as I am now. And the reason I say that is obviously because of the way things work now with the second place team having to face a Champions League dropout in the round of 32 before we get to the round of 16. So essentially finishing second in the group adds not only another game, but it adds probably one of the most difficult games that you're going to get in this competition because you are playing one of the Champions League drop downs. So I'm desperate for Arsenal to actually play this game. I think the game should be going ahead on Thursday. I, I really do. I, I cannot get my head around why there are Premier League games going on, for example, in the capital the day before the Queen's funeral. Why, you know, all of this has culminated in Arsenal's game against PSV being postponed. I, I didn't agree with it last weekend, but I understood why. And I'd have understood if the Brentford game was off because it's the day before the funeral and perhaps there's things that need doing and the resource needs to be pulled on for that. But this one, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And as I say, even more so having seen that Chelsea are playing their game against Salzburg tomorrow. So, yeah, frustrating. But we don't know when it will be fitting. We're just going to have to wait and see. Um, because my understanding is that UEFA want to get all the group stages done and dusted before the World Cup. So, yeah going to have to come up with some kind of solution there we're going to have to get creative perhaps okay guys uh, i'm going to leave it there because it is getting late um if you are watching us on youtube please do leave us a like please do subscribe to the channel if you're new if you're listening on the audio platforms please do leave us a review as well i'll be back very very soon with more arsenal and football related content but until then Take care of yourselves. Watch the highlights of Sporting Lisbon 2, Spurs Neil. That'll put a smile on my face before I go to bed. Catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.